Well, amen. That is a blessing. That is a blessing. There's a grace that is available to us in and through Christian baptism. And it's not just for people being baptized. It's for people who are here. It's those of you who have been baptized, remembering your own baptism. And so we just thank God for the grace uh, that he's poured out upon us in and through uh, Christian baptism this morning. Uh, I, our sermon text this morning is in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time, I'm preaching through uh, the book of Acts. We are in uh, Acts chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17. And I will say as you're turning there, I will make my point in 15 minutes today. <clears throat> And I will then emphasize that point for the next 20. So uh, you buckle your seatbelts. Uh, and uh, I will meet Bill's requirements this morning. Uh, at this point in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, he is on his second of three missionary trips that he will take here in this book, traveling to new areas, telling people about Christ. Uh, Paul was traveling earlier on this trip with Silas and Timothy, but Paul left them behind um, in one of the towns they just went through. And so Paul, all alone now, in the last passage, he stopped in Athens in Greece, and Paul now heads here to Corinth in Greece. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll read. Well, Father, as we just open your word, we also just thank you for the grace that is available to us in and through your scriptures. And Father, you have breathed out this book for our eternal good. We thank you for the truth, the absolute truth you've given us in this book. And we just lean into it now and ask by the ministry of your Holy Spirit that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts as we've just heard in testimonies here that you turn the light bulbs on for us. And maybe that which we've read many times in our lives suddenly comes alive. And the Jesus we've heard about for many, many years suddenly becomes glorious. So we would ask for that ministry of your Spirit now, Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he, Paul, went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. 
But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint, but since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Amen. You know, if there is if there's one thing that every human being needs, if there is one thing that you desperately need in this life, it is protection. Because we are all, as human beings, just very, very small, frail, vulnerable, very hurtable creatures. We like to think that we're not, like to think that we are bulletproof, invincible, not hurtable, but that's simply not true. Just just think how small you are right now compared to the bigness of this world. Just think for a second about all the different threats in this world that could harm you. The, the, the physical threats, disease, murder, accidents, catastrophes, or mental threats in, in this life. You, you, you can't control ultimately what happens to your mind or sexual threats. Sexual abuse, which many of you have probably experienced, sexual crimes or financial threats in this life or emotional threats, and we could just go on and on, and we as human beings are just vulnerable to all those things. Like sheep, the Bible says, totally defenseless. And listen, one thing you desperately need in this life is protection, to be shielded, to be sheltered, to, to, to be guarded. And listen, the great news that is available in this text is that God is a God of protection. He's a God who watches over his people. He cares for, he protects his people, his sheep at all times. And in, in that text we just read, we, we learned some things about God's protection. The two things that we see here, the two points we'll cover today, what do we see are concerning God and His protection? Here they are on the screen. One, God promises protection here. And two, God then provides protection. And the first thing here, number one, God promises protection. Verse one says that Paul, the Apostle Paul, now traveled down to Corinth. Here's a map. These guys started on this trip over in Antioch in Syria. They've now traveled all the way up to Greece. If you can put that back up there. Greece up in the upper left-hand corner, modern-day Europe. In the last passage, Paul went to Athens right there, uh, while Silas and Timothy remained up in Macedonia. And Paul now makes about a 45-mile trip, either by land or by sea, down to Corinth. This is a very important stop for the Apostle Paul. This is one of the largest cities he will visit on this trip. By comparison, Athens at this time had some 20,000 people. 
Corinth at this time had some two to seven hundred thousand people. Much larger, very strategic city for the spread of Christianity. Corinth back then was, was famous for what was known as the, the Acro-Corinth, the large mountain towering over Corinth. Here's a photo today from the top of the Acro-Corinth looking down on Corinth. The city was down below in the plain. Corinth back then was a very pagan city, worshiping all of the pantheon of the Greek and, and Roman uh, gods. A, a city known for its temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. A temple that was actually um, sitting right on top of that Acro-Corinth. Here's a picture of the remains today of this temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And Corinth back then was also an incredibly immoral city. Very much so. Just at that temple alone, Temple to Aphrodite, there were some 1,000 female servants to Aphrodite, worked at the temple during the day, and at night roamed the city as cult prostitutes. It was just their way of worshiping the goddess of love. It was a very rough city. Horace, Roman poet back then, said that Corinth was a city where only the tough survived. And Paul just entered Corinth alone. May have had some people with him, but not Silas and Timothy, his, his buddies. But verse 2 says he then found a couple of Jews here in Corinth, Aquila and his wife Priscilla, who had recently been driven out of Rome when Claudius, the Roman emperor at this time, forced all the Jews to leave. It was a, an edict from Claudius in AD 49. Suetonius, a Roman historian, he said that the Jews in Rome at this time were making disturbances over a man named Crestus. That's probably Christ. The Jews in Rome were probably rioting over Jesus, so Claudius expelled the Jews. And Aquila and Priscilla, these Jews, are now in Corinth. They are apparently Christians now. Jewish Christians may have been converted back in Rome, and Paul now meets them, moves in with them, and works with them. If you look at verse 3, and because Paul was of the same trade as them, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Or that could also mean that they were leather workers. The three of them, they just knew the same trade. And so Paul now worked with Aquila Priscilla to support himself as he shared Christ there in Corinth. He maybe worked during the week, and every Sabbath then, verse 4 says, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks about Christ. Archaeologists in 1896 actually found in ancient Corinth they found a piece of a doorway lentil, the top of a door from this time period, and it reads, Synagogue of the Hebrews. Here's a photo of what they found. And it is possible that the Apostle Paul walked underneath that very sign to reason with Jews and Greeks in this synagogue in Corinth. And verse 5 says that when Silas and Timothy's buddies then rejoined him, he was occupied. He was absorbed with the word of God. 
absorbed with the scriptures, testifying to the Jews, verse 5 says, that Jesus was the Christ. Telling these Jewish people, Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one and only Savior of the world. But these Jews, they, they just couldn't believe in a, in a Messiah who would have been crucified. It was a stumbling block for them. These Jews, like many Jews in the book of Acts, well, they resist Paul and his message about Paul and his message about Jesus. If you look at verse 6 again. And when they, the Jews, opposed and reviled Paul, he shook out his garments, a sign of protest against these Jews, and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And it's something Paul could say because he was faithful to the Scriptures. To tell the whole counsel of God, as he says in Acts 20, about Jesus. And when somebody is faithful to actually preach the Scriptures, the blood of those people is no longer on that person's head. And Paul is now saying to these people, you are now accountable to God. And, and if and when God finds you guilty for rejecting his Messiah as one and only Savior, it will not be my fault because I've told you the truth. And Paul now turns to the Gentiles in Corinth, to the Greeks there. Verse 7 says that Paul went next door to the synagogue, the house of justice, Titius Justice. He was probably a Gentile Christian. And Paul now began to share about Christ there in, in this man's home, and Paul instantly now sees fruit. If you look at verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, in Jesus, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed in, were baptized. So just think now, many, now, many of these pagan, immoral Corinthians they're now turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and being baptized like we did here today in obedience to Christ's command. And verse 8 says, even Crispus, the Jewish ruler of that synagogue, also now became a Christian with his entire family. And we now have the start of a little church in Corinth. Paul will later write the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians in your Bible to these people that he's meeting here in Acts chapter 18. But I want you to pause for a second. And I want you to think now of the situation that Paul is in now with the Jews in Corinth. Paul has already been rejected by them in the synagogue, his, his message about Christ, and... Paul, like only Paul could do, moved right next door and continued to share Christ. Lots of Greeks in the city now turning to Christ in faith, and even Crispus, the leader of the Jewish synagogue, has turned to Christ and his entire family. And I'm sure that these Jews were now infuriated at the Apostle Paul. And I would bet that Paul felt that heat at this time. Knew he was in danger. And listen, at this very moment, Paul probably in danger. Serious tension, I'm sure, in this area. And at this moment, 
Jesus promises to Paul that he will protect him. If you look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. This vision. God has led his people all through Acts with, with, with visions. God can still do that today. It's a part of the new covenant church, the age of the Spirit. And Paul gets this vision. Luke says it is the Lord, or Jesus himself, who now speaks to Paul, giving Paul now a command followed by this massive promise. The command, verse 9, do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be frightened. Do not be alarmed. But keep on speaking. Do not be silent about me. Pause for a second. Is Paul a man that you typically think of as being fearful? No, probably not. You know, sometimes you think you probably should have a little fear that might have helped you a little bit at times. He seems like he has no fear in the face of all kinds of danger. But do you know that's not true? Paul did have fear. Paul later says it himself about his time here in Corinth. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 3. I was with you, Corinthians, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So pause. Great Apostle Paul. Fear. Great trembling. In Corinth. And just stop. Why? Why was Paul fearful at times? Why was Paul in fear and trembling now here in Corinth? You want to know why? Because Paul was human. He was not some superhuman, unlike you and me. No, Paul was just very human, like you and me. And listen, for all people in this fallen world, fear is just very, very common. Now, many people don't want to admit their fears. When I was a kid growing up in high school, there's an ad campaign, no fear, and my friends would wear these shirts. No fear, man. I saw an NFL football player interviewed a couple weeks ago. He said, I fear nothing. I fear nothing. And it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Even many Christians act like they have no fear. Scared stiff about something. You can't sleep at night and you meet somebody coming in the door. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. No fear. It's a lie. Every human being fears at times. Now, you might just want to call it stress or nerves or something, if that feels better to you, but most of the time, at the core, it is fear. And we all have it. I feel a little fear every single week before I preach because I'm vulnerable. You may not like what I say, and abuse me on Facebook, or I'll get that nice email from you later, the passive-aggressive Minnesota nice email from far away, and you'll tell me what you think. As a college baseball player, I felt fear before every game. 
a choking type of fear. I called it pressure. It was fear. Maybe your fear is financial. And you just can't stop checking the stock market or, you, or fear for your, your family. You're just a good parent, but you're really obsessed with fear of your family, fearful of your own safety, fearful for your own health. And listen, you, you, you know one of the most foundational fears that we have as human beings? It's the fear of abandonment. You know where it comes from? The Garden of Eden. The fall of humanity. The human race back in the Garden of Eden rebelled against God and we were, we were banished from God's presence. We had essentially caused ourselves to be abandoned by God. And every human being now feels it. This abandonment. This, this fear uh, deep down of, of abandonment. This fear of being left alone. Of being deserted of, 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 uh, by parents or, or a spouse or, or a friend. All kinds of fear we have as, as human beings. And please listen to me. It will not help you to deny your fear. It will not help. To act like you never have it. Fear does not go away like that. There's, there's a saying, whatever you don't own will control you. If you will not just honestly own your fear, you just stuff it, you act like it's not there, it will not go away, your fear will control you. Listen, God doesn't ask you to lie about your fear. He doesn't ask you to deny your fear, but to be honest about your fear with Him and with other people. If you read through the Psalms in the Bible, the psalmists, they're just very honest about their fear with God and, and, and with other people. Or the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, just a very honest statement about his fear and trembling here in Corinth. He wrote that in a letter. He told people, oh, shame on you, Paul. Christians aren't supposed to have fear. Well, Paul felt very comfortable in just being honest about his fear and his trembling. And that's how you handle fear. Be honest about your fear with God, with other people. When was the last time you looked at another human being and you said, I'm afraid? And if you've never said that, there's a problem probably. Be honest about it. It's just an honest, authentic humanity. And God can then help you with your fear. And Jesus, man, here in this text, he, he now helps Paul. This vision at night, do not fear, Paul. Keep on speaking about me. That's the command from Jesus. Don't fear, keep speaking. But Jesus adds this massive promise. If you look at verse 10, do not fear, Paul. And why? For or because I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Do not fear, Paul, for I am with you. And listen, that right there is something that God says to all of his people all over the Bible. Here's just a taste for you. Deuteronomy 31.6, God says, Do not fear, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid, for I am 
with you. Psalm 23, some of you learned it as a child. It's, it's right there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Or Jesus in the Great Commission, he, he said it to his disciples. Matthew 28, 19, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And behold, I am with you disciples. So go on speaking. Do not fear. I am with you. This is this constant refrain in the Bible. God speaking to his people, do not fear. For I, the maker of heaven and earth, I am with you always. John Wesley's final words on his deathbed, here they are. The best of all is God is with us. The best of all best of all the best of all the best of all is not that you'd make a billion dollars the best of all is not that you'd be head of a company the best of all is not that you'd have a family the best of all is not that you'd avoid all pain the best of all is that god is with us in this life therefore do not fear do not fear and here's the thing this god who is forever with his people Well, God promises all over the Bible that he will protect his people. I am with you always, and I will always protect you. So do not fear. So what Jesus promises to Paul here, I am with you, Paul, and, verse 10, no one in Corinth will harm you. For I have many in this city or my people, or I have many here who I'm planning to call to myself. So just keep speaking, Paul. I will protect you. And you know, on one level, you look at this text. On one level, God's promise here to Paul to protect him, it it was just for Paul. It, It was said at a particular moment in time to a particular man, particular situation here in Corinth. God wants Paul to stay here. Keep sharing Christ, Paul. Get Christianity established here in Corinth. And and, and Jesus promises to protect Paul so Paul can do all this stuff. So on one level, this is just for Paul. But do you know on another level, this promise here for God to protect his people, it applies to all God's people. Every last one of God's children in and through Christ Jesus. Because here's the thing. If you are now united to Jesus Christ by a living faith, you don't just say you're a Christian, but you follow him as your Lord and your master. If that is you, then God's unfailing promise to you, Christian, is that he will be with you always. And this God who will be with you always, well, this God also promises to protect you at all times and forever. He is your good shepherd. We just sang about it. Who protects his sheep always. And listen, that, that is the ultimate answer for all of your fears in this life. God doesn't expect you, Christian, to have no fear. He knows you will have some. But God's promise, Christian, to you is that he will be with you. He will always, always protect you no matter what. And now, you know what it is for you, Christian? It's a battle to trust. It's a a battle now to trust 
that God will be faithful to protect you. Learning to trust, becoming like a child with a really good father. It's hard for some of you to trust God because you don't yet see him as a really good father. But a really good father and and you becoming like a child with this really good father, trusting that he will truly protect you at all times. You learning now to cast your cares upon him because, 1 Peter 5, he cares for you. God has promised Christian to protect you. That's one thing we see here as point number one. God promises protection. And a second thing, point two, God provides the protection. You think of Paul now, just heard this vision. He just saw the vision, heard Jesus speaking about this protection. Don't you think that probably emboldened Paul a little bit here in his fear and trembling? And verse 11 says that Paul now stayed in Corinth. Right next to the synagogue, sharing Christ, I'm sure, for the next 18 months. Protected all of that time, teaching the word concerning Jesus, but the Jews then attack again. Verse 12 says that Gallio was the Roman ruler over this region at this time. And verse 12 says the Jews now made a united attack and brought Paul before Gallio at the tribunal. And the Greek word there is the word bima. Some of you have maybe heard that word before. The, the bima or the bima seat or the tribunal in cities back then. It was this raised platform. It was typically outdoors in the city square. Very, very public platform upon which the Roman rulers sat to give their judgments. It was the bima or the judgment seat. And archaeologists have actually found that bima that was in Corinth, most likely at this time. Here's a photo. That most likely was where Paul was now, standing before Gallio. And, and the Jews here, verse 13, now say to Gallio that Paul was persuading people in Corinth to worship God in a way contrary to Jewish law. And they're basically just saying that Paul is stirring up trouble among the Jewish people here in Corinth. And again, do you think Paul might have felt a little bit of fear standing before Gallio at this point? Most likely. And yet the God who promised to protect Paul right here, well, this God now upholds the promise and he protects Paul. I'll bet Paul never imagined how God would protect him right here. I bet Paul never imagined God is an out-of-the-box type of God. He does not do things the way we think he should, ever. (laughs) So if you got him in the box, just destroy it, okay? Because he's not going to work the way you think. And he protects Paul here in a way I'm sure Paul wouldn't have imagined God working now through this Roman ruler. The Jews just accused Paul to Gallio, and then look at verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth to defend himself to Gallio in front of all of these Jews, well, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own Jewish law, See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Man, what a great ruler, huh? Steps in. He doesn't want to uh, be judge over the Jews. It's not my business. Deal with it yourself. And he drives them from the tribunal. And 
Verse 17, we've seen this before in Acts. The Jews are so furious that they can't get to the person they want, they go grab somebody else and beat them. I mean, I don't, you know, I guess your anger has to go somewhere, and they couldn't get Paul. And now, verse 17 says, they grab this guy Sosthenes, who was the new ruler over the synagogue after Crispus. Remember, Crispus had already become a believer, so they got rid of him. You can't be ruler over the synagogue anymore. They put Sosthenes in, who also probably now became a Christian. And they're so angry, they go and grab Sosthenes. They drag him before the tribunal, that bema seat, and they beat him in front of Gallio. And verse 17 says, Gallio does nothing to stop it. Not a great ruler. And yet God has very sovereignly now worked through this ruler to protect the Apostle Paul, just as God said he would. God has delivered on his promise, promised to protect, and now he's protects, protected, sovereignly working through this very hard-hearted Roman ruler. And once again, you know, what we see here with the Apostle Paul, on one level, th- this protection that God provided was just for Paul. It's, just, it's a story about Paul. It's a very specific protection from God for, for Paul at this time, so Paul could get Christianity established there in Corinth, and yet, on another level, what we see in this text is for every single Christian. Because if you now trust in Christ and you follow Christ in faith, well, God has promised Christian to protect you at all times, no matter what. And God will be faithful to uphold that promise protecting you, Christian, at all times. Now, that doesn't mean you won't suffer as a Christian. Just because God says He will protect you and does protect you does not mean that you will not suffer. You will. Jesus says in the Bible that all Christians will suffer at times great pain for many, many Believers, you know, God kept Paul from pain right here. But Sosthenes, who was probably a Christian, was beaten. And Paul, just a little bit later, will be martyred. Jesus never promised Christian to keep you from all pain. But Jesus did promise to be with you in all pain. Emmanuel, he is God with us is what it means. And Jesus promised to protect you in all your pain. And Jesus will be faithful, Christian, to provide that protection He's promised. Faithful to protect you eternally in all your pain. You might suffer temporally in, in this life, but God will protect you eternally for the next life. Jesus will put boundaries on your pain in this life. He will. Jesus will sustain you in your pain. Ultimately, even if that pain kills you, Jesus would just cause all your pain, every last tear, to prepare you for instant glory with Him in heaven. God will protect you, Christian, at all times. And you know why God will protect you, Christian? Because Jesus Christ willingly chose to be unprotected for you. 
Do you realize that on the cross, that's what he did? He let go of the protection that he deserved for his righteous life. And he let it go for you. Unprotected, uh, unprotected, abandoned on the cross. You, You and I, because of sin, that's what we deserve unprotected, abandoned by God. And yet Jesus took our place, willingly allowed himself to be unprotected, which we deserved in order that we who now trust in him might be eternally protected, which he deserved. Do you know, Christian, now why God will never, ever, ever abandon you? You know why? Because Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the abandonment of the entire human race upon himself. Banished from God's presence, unprotected on the cross, so that everyone who trusts in him would be brought near and never again be abandoned. That is the ultimate answer for that deep down fear of abandonment in the human race. It's through Jesus where you're brought close again and God the Father, you know what he now says to you, Christian, in Christ Jesus? Here it is, Hebrews 13, 5. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never desert you. I will never leave you unprotected because my son went unprotected in your place. You might not always see God protecting you, You might not always know how God is protecting you. Christian, there might be times in your life you think he is not protecting you. Make no mistake about it, your God is near. And he sees every pain, every hurt, every tear. He is protecting you. May God give you the grace today to trust in Christ and to truly trust that in everything he is with you always and always protecting you. Father, we thank you for your love for your people. We do consider the abandonment that we do deserve, the the pain we deserve. We deserve to be unprotected on the cross. And yet, Jesus, you took that for us. And we thank you now, Father, that because of Christ, all who trust, truly trust, all who are truly clinging to Christ in faith are eternally protected by you. Never again abandoned. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You look across the room here today at all those who truly trust in Christ and you say, Christian, do not fear for I am with you. Father, give us faith to believe it. Give us faith to trust. Help us now to be honest about our fears with you and with people we love. And Father, help us to cast those fears upon you because you care for us. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.